This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR. R-A-Z-O-R. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Andrew Fiorentino here with Paul Bruno, and we are the Great Ones, RotoWire's fantasy hockey podcast. It's January 21st, 2016, and. The new year has brought us uh, continued scoring woes for some contending teams. Uh, the Canadians, uh, a favorite punching bag of Paul's here, as uh, <laughs> we'll surely see as we go through the show here. Uh, Minnesota struggling, not scoring. Uh, Devin Dubnik losing a lot of games. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, let's let's actually start with Dubnik and and the Wild. Uh, they've they've been doing a lot of losing lately. Four in a row for Dubnik. Uh, I believe the as a team they've lost seven something like that. Uh, what are you what are you seeing with the with the Wild lately? Well, what I'm seeing is a slowdown in production. We saw Miko Koivu, who was the top scorer on this team. He was uh, on quite a streak, but uh, things have dried up for him. And and uh, I guess he's indicative of the, of the suffering of the offense. He hasn't got a goal in the last seven games, one assist in total, and that's from your top-line scorer. You've got to get more production out of him and his line mates. That's, uh, that's a big problem when, uh, when your big guys aren't delivering, and it's indicative of why they're having trouble scoring. If they can't get it at the top end, they're certainly not going to get it from their bottom six guys. So I look for him. Uh, Thomas Vanek has to pick it up. He's there as a, a one-dimensional player anyway, and he's only got 14 goals in 46 games. Zach Parise... Big dollar contract, and yet he's only got 16 tallies in 37 games. So you can see, Andrew, and this is the top end of their lineup. If they're not getting the, the scoring punch from these guys, I don't know where it's going to come from, and it's certainly going to hit them uh, in the bottom line at the NHL standings if they can't uh, can't get the offense turned around here. 
Yeah, it's been a it's been a struggle for Parisi lately. Uh, since he had that hat trick back on January fifth, scored a goal the next day. Since then, six games, just one goal, no assist, minus five rating, uh, fifteen shots. Uh, you know, a little bit below the level you would expect to see from Parisi, who's you can usually count on to put at least uh, three shots on goal every game. Only put one on goal uh, against Anaheim last night. Went minus two, took a penalty in, uh, in more than twenty minutes of ice time. Uh, it's it's been a, a little bit of a, a tough run for him, but you know you look at the the stats for Parisi and they're they're not totally out of line with with really what you would expect. I think he's frankly overpaid. Yeah, and I mean you look down the roster too at a guy like Jason Pominville. This guy's a veteran guy who has been counted on for 20 goals every year uh, as a top six forward. He's got five in 46 games. That's that's remarkably poor. And uh, his shooting percentage, shooting percentage is way off his career. Yeah, by norms. far the worst of his career. Yeah, it's 4.3%. Uh, it's, that's, those are ridiculous numbers. And you think, okay, there's got to be some regression to the mean. But this is already quite a significant sample size. We're talking more than half a season. And so you raise a bit of a uh, spocky an eye, as I want to do, <laughs> when I see some of the numbers like this that we're quoting. And, and you have to think. There are, there are better days ahead. This is a far too much talent that is underperforming here. Certainly, they've managed to keep a lid on the goals against, and that's why they're still competitive. But uh, they're coming up a goal short uh, more often than not lately, and uh, that needs to turn around because it's a very tight race, and uh, they're almost at the opposite end of, of where they want to be right now. Yeah, you look down that wild depth chart, and they have a, a very deep lineup uh, compared to a lot of other teams in the league. Uh, they should be better than than what they've been lately, but you know that offense does dry up. It's the middle of the season. Teams kind of hit those uh, doldrums around this time of year, and it looks like uh, that's a little bit of the case in Minnesota. But they need to get it together and soon, because they're not that far from finding themselves on the outside looking in at the playoff picture. Uh, you know, you look down in the uh, the Western Conference standings, the Wild sitting 52 points. They've got a bunch of teams hot on their trail. Colorado's got 51, Nashville's got 48. Uh, in the other division, San Jose, Arizona, Vancouver, all with 49, although I think uh, the Canucks are in mid-tank right now. Yeah, I agree with you, and... and uh... We, we see another team, Nashville. This is another team that's similarly loaded to the Minnesota situation, Andrew. And, and they are similarly plagued, if I can say that. Uh, certainly everybody knows about the wealth they have in net and on defense with Shea Weber and Roman Yossi. But some of the name forwards are underperforming there as well. Absolutely. You know, Nashville, uh, you know, it's a team that's counting a lot on James Neal. And James Neal has been a very Jekyll and Hyde sort of player throughout his career. Uh, it's, it's been a little bit more Hyde since he's come to Nashville, only 37 points in 67 games last year. A little bit of a better scoring rate this year, but but not a big improvement. And, you know, when you're talking about the, your first line right winger, uh, you're looking for a little bit more. And uh, we haven't really seen it from Neil. Uh, the arrival of Ryan Johansson has has sparked him a little bit. He does have three points in the last three games, but, you know, that's not really something you can point to as uh, an ongoing trend. And for Johan- Johansson's part, he's he's pretty much been what they expected. He's a guy that's been chiming, chipping in with some offense, so it's the new face that was expected to deliver, and he he's at least holding up his end of the bargain. I've been pretty impressed with him so far, Andrew. Yeah, you know, you had we all knew when, when John Tortorella stuck Johansson on the bench out there in Columbus that he was making uh, a, a tragic mistake. And I think that that's going to play out uh, in just that way uh, over the years. Uh, Seth Jones is going to be, you know, as we talked about in, in previous episodes, 
uh, a very quality defenseman, but you know, it's not something, not a situation for me where where that's going to to pay off for Columbus in the long run, and they're going to regret that. Although Jones has himself been a uh, been warm over these last few games, four assists in the last three games after uh, starting off with with no points in his first three games as a Blue Jacket. I guess one guy, Andrew, that kind of has given mixed signals of late, and he's one of their offensive uh, stalwarts, is Philip Forsberg. They counted on this guy who came from a break, breakout season last year to be a guy that would cons- be a consistent scorer and a leader of a, of a youth corps that would infuse this offense. He's, he's warmed up a little bit with three goals in his last seven games, but on the year, I would have to say he's viewed as a disappointment with only 13 goals and 29 points and a glaring minus seven in 46 games. To me, those are numbers that I didn't expect from this guy, and he's taken a bit of a step back, and, and they need to write him, uh, as well as Neil, as you said, before uh, they can be taken a little more seriously like we expected them to be. Yeah, on the one hand, you do have Forsberg on track to uh, take maybe like 20 more shots on goal this year uh, than he did last season, but He's doing that while playing uh, almost two, f- uh, more than two full minutes more per game than he was last year. Uh, so we were hoping to see a spike in production. He would go from that 63 that he put up last year to uh, you know maybe a, a full-on breakout. But you know this could be a, a little bit of a sophomore slump for Forsberg. This is really his second full NHL season. He doesn't have a big track record before that. He still is only 21 years old. So I think uh, a little bit of a down year for Forsberg. It just makes a nice bylaw opportunity for next year. Yeah, and I mentioned specifically Matthias Eckholm when Seth Jones uh, was uh, hitting the airport to leave. <laughs> I expected Eckholm to take a step up in, in the depth chart and, and kind of fill in in a seamless manner. That really hasn't turned out to be the case. He has picked up a few assists along the way, but he's recorded a minus in five of his last seven games, and he's playing upwards of 21, 22 minutes. So right now, that's that's a situation where they need a bit of an upgrade too, and it's surprising to talk about needing an upgrade on that deep defense, but uh, all of a sudden uh, there is a bit of a hole back there that, that it's pretty wide right now, and they need to fix it. Yeah, I mean, I think that as far as you know, the Nashville offense, it's got to be driven by the forwards. Yeah, you can only expect Ekholm to get the puck up and uh, and get back on defense. Uh, I don't really think of him as more of, more of an offensive guy than that at this point in his career. No, but, but I'm, uh, I'm people do like him. Yeah, I'm suggesting that he has to hold up the defensive end of the bargain more Certainly. than anything else. Yeah, and that's that's where the gap is. Uh, he was taken Absolutely on right, more yeah. more minutes than he than was expected, and now he's a second pairing guy instead of a third pairing. So everybody moves up in class there a little bit, and uh, maybe the onus is on Ryan Ellis to carry him a little bit more. But uh, Ryan Ellis is pretty much a workhorse there already. So uh, I think we've identified the fact that Minnesota and, and Nashville are two teams that are suffering offensively and unexpectedly so. And uh, I don't think that it's going to continue in each case. And I look for these teams to be playoff participants. Andrew, I don't know if you feel the same way, uh, but I do expect a turnaround in the near term for both clubs. Yeah, I do think that they're they're both going to be in the battle, especially Minnesota. I really like Dubnik. I think he's a quality goaltender, uh, and and that team can't. They have too much uh, talent, as I was saying earlier, up and down the the depth chart uh, to be held off the scoreboard. What's uh? Tack north a little bit, because uh, as we sit here today and look at our neighbors to the north, the Canadian teams, all of them, are outside of the playoffs. If the, if the playoffs were to start today, 
They would all be sitting home, and O Canada would not be played at one single game. Uh, the Canadian team, uh, as you write here in our little uh, game notes here, has made the playoffs in all but one season in NHL history, and that was 1969-1970. That's a long time ago. Yeah, that was the era of 12 teams in the NHL, and the Leafs and Canadians finished fifth and sixth in the Eastern Division, as I recall. And uh, those were very, uh, very sad times. And for uh, uh, referring north of the border, our major uh, rights holder in terms of the NHL broadcast rights in Canada is Rogers Communications. And they paid big bucks for this, this right. They've shelled out a lot of money, so we get games every night, Andrew, uh, locally. Uh, quite different from the NHL Game Center package and the NHL package that is in the Vogue. But uh, they are not getting banged for the buck, and they're really wringing their hands right now at the prospect of t- these teams being on the outside looking in. I happen to think that a couple of them will write their, themselves and make it, but, boy, they, it would be gloomy times north of the border uh, among the rights holders, and that's, uh, that's big news up here in, in Canada right now. Certainly, and uh, you look at the the poster boys for this discussion uh, is the Montreal Canadiens, a team expected to be battling for you know home ice some home ice advantage in the playoffs, especially after the huge start they got off to this season. But Carey Price still sidelined. The latest news I saw today has him out another three weeks to a month still. Uh, is Carey Price going to be back in time to lift the Canadians back into the playoffs? You know they're still. They're still not far. They're not far out. You know, they're only a point out of a playoff spot. The trouble there is that a number of teams have really closed the gap behind them. I mean, even uh, Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, they're only the, two points back. They're back there. The Devils are right there. There's there's a handful of teams, Ottawa Senators, that are right nipping at their heels, and some of them have games in hand on the Habs, and more of an upward trajectory of late. The Habs. If you look at their record in the last 21 games, Andrew, they're 4-16-1. That's far and away the worst record over the la- that stretch. And even if Price comes back, what has happened in Montreal is that they, this team has been exposed. They cannot score enough uh, unless he comes back and delivers a one goals against average. They're going to have trouble winning games, too, because they're averaging just under two goals a game over much of that stretch. So that's... Another thing that's been revealed over this this period of time in Montreal, and and there's a real concern and a, a real need to bolster that offense. I can see this team making a a big splash uh, prior to the trade deadline to try and fix that, but at what cost remains to be the scene. Yeah, um, and they're not the only ones, of course, uh, outside of that playoff picture. Uh, you look at Ottawa as another team, uh, just as many points as Montreal now, 50 points for both of those teams. But I, I, I'm a little more bullish on the Senators' prospects. Uh, I'm not so bullish on their goaltending. I, I'm a, a long-known uh, doubter of Craig Anderson, a uh, hater, if you will. I'll, I drink the haterade for Craig Anderson. Uh, he's a mediocre goalie. I think Andrew Hammond behind him is also a mediocre goalie, uh, despite the budding Hamburglar run of last year. I hope that he got uh, plenty of posters printed up from that uh, to enjoy for the rest of his life because I don't think that he's going to get too many more runs like that one uh, over the course of his career. But uh, a little bit of a blow. Uh, Mike Hoffman, day-to-day, considered a game-time call for today, so a short-term absence for him after he was hurt uh, this weekend. Uh, Kyle Turris, similarly a a game-time call for today, hasn't missed any, any action yet. Uh, 
the Senators need that first line. If they lose those top line guys, uh, the the Hoffmans, the Terraces, the, the Mark Stones, uh, they're going to have an awfully hard time putting enough pucks in the net. But as long as they can stay healthy, I, I do think that they're going to usurp a, a playoff spot. Yeah, and I would I would tend to agree. I of course they have all world defenseman Eric Carlson at the head of the pack, and he's going to be partnered with a with a raw rookie that they're bringing up. Frederick Clayson is uh, has played a few games for them this year, but he's had to be pushed back into action. He might even get some time on the top pairing there. That's a guy that that will watch to see if there's a chemistry with uh, with the captain. But uh, you're quite right about this offense. It's deep. It's it's varied. It's it's got size. It's got skill. And uh, a guy like a Bobby Ryan has really thrived here. He he had a bit of a down year last season, but he's coming back in spades and and putting up nearly a point per game. I really like the way this guy's playing. He's really producing on the special teams as well with 12 power power play points on the season. And a shooting percentage is up there around 14%, which is a tad bit higher than, than we're used to seeing out of him, but uh, indicative of the fact that he's firing on all cylinders right now. I'd like to see him get more shots on goal. He's barely over two a game, but he seems to be in a lot of highlight packages I've been watching and uh, and uh, full value as a team leader on offense there. Yeah, absolutely. And let's, uh, let's go back to the States. Uh, and I know we can linger on these Canadian teams for... Well, forever, especially especially you, I think uh, you can just we could have a two-hour podcast just to, just talking about Canadian teams only. Uh, but it, uh, we're not the Toronto sports media. We have to move on. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned Toronto yet. <laughs> you want to talk about Toronto? We could talk about Toronto first. No, we'll I don't. I don't. Toronto. I don't want to talk about Toronto. You don't want to talk about <laughs> Toronto? No. But they're so good. <laughs> <laughs> they beat the. I, I guess we can talk about the fact they beat the Flyers. If, if you cared about Philadelphia, then I'd be chirping you today. But uh, uh, that was quite an interesting battle the other night when the Leafs took a game in, in what's been a graveyard for them over the years. They won a game in the last seven seconds. And I know a lot of Leaf fans that are not happy with that because they're part of what's known as tank nation around here. They want to see this team lose as many times as they can. But the fact of the matter is that see, this team is it needs to showcase some of their bottom six guys. So I'll give a shout-out to Sean Mathias. This is a guy I think you're going to see play a lot of six, uh, top six minutes going forward. And I, oh, think he's going to be, and I think he's going to be a guy that's going to fetch a second, third-round pick uh, come the trade deadline. So I'll make that call right now. Someone's going to uh, – whoever wastes a second-round pick on, on Sean Mathias will, will come to regret it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> We've we've been hearing about the potential of Matthias for for years, and it's just never materialized. No, it hasn't. Uh, he's just always be, been a depth line type of guy. Yeah. To be truthful, we're hoping that he uh, he what we the Leafs are hoping that he'll approach the 16, 17 goal mark that he reached last year, and if he can catch fire playing a top six role for the first time uh, this year, I think that it'll that's what the Leafs were hoping for when they signed a bunch of these guys, the PA parent toes of the world to try and turn them around to, into a mid-level draft pick and uh, fill their cupboard at the trade deadline. Yeah, the, well, the one other Canadian team I will bring up before we move on is Calgary, because this is a team that's you know lingering toward the bottom of the standings right now, but they do have games in hand on a lot of other teams. A lot of the teams ahead of them, uh, you know, they've only played 45, 44 games uh, everyone else, uh, pretty much in the league, has played between 45 and 49 uh, in that range. So you do see Calgary tied with Edmonton down there uh, in the basement of the Pacific Division. But I think, as I as I look around the league and I say, okay, we've got the top teams here. We've got Florida, uh, although they're 
you know, in a losing stretch now. Uh, I think they've established themselves as a clear playoff team. Uh, Tampa Bay and Chicago, of course, are red hot. Uh, the Rangers are picking it up again after a bit of struggle. Had to work them in somewhere. <laughs> uh, but as I looked at, you know, toward the bottom of the standings, and and we ask ourselves, okay, well, who's going to make the run this year, right? There's always that team or a couple of teams uh, that makes a a big second half run, really establish themselves going to the playoffs. And I think Calgary is one of the teams that has a chance to do that. And there's too much talent up front with that forward group for them to linger in the cellar all year long. Uh, Johnny Goodrow is allergic to losing. Uh, Sean Monahan too, I think, is allergic to losing. And I think this team is going to be uh, a lot better uh, in the second half uh, than they have been so far, including the last couple of games, which they have lost. Uh, only 4-5-1 and one in their last 10. So I'm not saying Calgary is good now, but I'm saying that they will be good later, and I think they're going to make a run at the playoffs. I, I like where you're thinking, I, I have to include uh, a shout-out to a Michael Furland. This guy, when they made the playoffs last year, he was a bit of a revelation to me. He was one of those guys that you couldn't help but notice. He was all over the ice uh, start, starting a fire under his teammates with the, the fast skating, hard checking that he brought to the table. Uh, a rugged type of player who has, I, th- I think, a really good addition to the first line. He just joined Monaghan and Godreau in recent games. And I look for big things for that combination. But what's stunning to me, Andrew, is this team is last in the league on the power play. And when you look at the people that they can throw out there, not only up front but on defense, uh, I, I think arguably, arguably they have uh, one of the deepest top four uh, on the blue line, uh, the likes of Giordano and Brody. Uh, our guys that play upwards of 25 minutes a game, and Brody, I think, is one of the most underrated players in hockey, by the way. He missed some time early on in the season. That's the only thing that's kept him out of the leadership of uh, of the defenseman scoring because he's been up there producing on a regular rate, very regular rate. Uh, Dougie Hamilton's kind of underproduced uh, over the season. But the real question mark for me is here in net because they can't seem to get any kind of consistency out of Ramo and Hiller. Both these guys have big tickets that are expiring very soon, and I think we could see a goalie move at the trade deadline uh, that might help the Calgary situation. It might even be tied in to Toronto and John, John Jonas, I mean, John Bernier or uh, J- James Reimer, because I know there's interest in uh, Brian Burke in both of them. So we can watch maybe for a trade between the two Canadian teams as the trade deadline approaches. That's interesting. You think uh, it's going to be a Bernier-Reimer uh, solution attempt for Calgary? I think when you look around the league, there's not too many options because one of them expired most recently, and that's Cam Ward with Carolina. He's out with a concussion, Andrew, as you know, and he was a guy that was really, uh, I think, a guy that could have gone high at the trade deadline in terms of a sell-high opportunity because of the fact there aren't too many of these goalies out there that might help a team that is on the cusp of the playoffs and could use a boost in net, and I suggest that maybe Bernier or, or Reimer might be a bit of an upgrade over the Ramo-Hiller tandem just because of the link to uh, Brian Burke and the fact that he, he knows certainly James Reimer's situation very well. And I think he was the one that inquired about Bernier earlier on in the season. I think there's a little smoke there uh, that we've heard uh, from the Toronto media, and I think uh, we might see something between those two clubs. Yeah, well, sticking with uh, that, that Carolina talk, now that uh, you mentioned Cam Ward, uh, indeed on IR with a concussion, uh, that puts Eddie Lack into the starting role there. Uh, not necessarily a not a very good break for a Carolina team that's been you know inconsistent. It's been coming in fits and starts, 
but they've been looking like an up-and-coming team. They have a lot of youth, uh, a lot of high draft picks that are starting to come into their own. Uh, what do you think that – how do you think things are going to go now? Uh, we, we saw Eddie Lack on uh, their last game give up five goals. That wasn't very good, it's, but pretty much in line with what Lack has done this year. It's been a huge disappointment in Carolina. He was ready uh, after a couple of solid years in Vancouver to take over a starting job somewhere. I liked him a lot before this year to take the job from Ward. Uh, and it hasn't worked out like that, and it doesn't look like it's going to. Well, and now you have to play almost a psychiatrist role in an- analyzing this this young goalie because he was the backup in, in Vancouver. He kind of won that gig by the whole Roberto Luongo fiasco, and now he was in a situation where he thought, okay, I'm behind another veteran guy in Cam Ward. You wonder if that was a blow to him, but he had to look at the future and say, Cam Ward's got an expiring contract this year. I don't think uh, he's he's a guy that figured into Calgary, uh, Carolina's long-term plans, Andrew, because he's getting up there in years, approaching the 30 mark uh, on the birth certificate, and Eddie Lack's a little bit younger, a couple of years younger, and this team is in the rebuild mode, and they've locked Eddie Lack up for a pretty low salary cap over the next couple of years. It's below two, $2 million a year, so that's pretty good value in terms of what they should have expected from him as a guy who was ready to take the next step and be that goalie that would take the 50 to 60 games. But like you said, he's faltered so far in the backup role, and this is a chance for him to take the ball and run with it and kind of right himself as uh, and make a statement that, yeah, I'll be ready to take the load on when it comes my way next year. Yeah, the interesting thing is this kid that they called up in the wake of the word injury, Daniel Altshuler, a guy you probably haven't heard too much about in prospect circles. Uh, last year he was playing in the ECHL, which is where prospects go to die generally. Uh, <laughs> but he he played his way out of there this year. He went 10-3 for the Florida Everblades with a 941 save percentage and a 158 goals against average, which is fantastic numbers. Yeah, he got promoted to, to AHL Charlotte, and he's been putting up almost identical numbers there. He's 9-1-1 with another 941 save percentage, a 171 goals against. Now he's the backup in Carolina in a really interesting situation because Lack has been so bad that if he keeps struggling and Ward is out in you know, a long term uh, with this concussion, Altshuler could suddenly slip right into that starting role, much like uh, we saw Garrett Sparks do when he was healthy with the Leafs earlier this year. But... Uh, he might have some staying power. Uh, do, you, do you know anything about Altshuler? Have you seen much of him? Uh, I, I know that he's a you know sort of a newish name to me. Uh, I, someone else picked him up in my dynasty league earlier today before I got a chance. Uh, what do you think? Well, I, I think they've got to give Lack every opportunity here, first of all. But I'm sure that Altshuler is going to get an opportunity to show his wares. And, and I think you, you make a great comparison with Garrett Sparks. This is a guy... They were both guys in the low minor leagues who, who only got promoted because of injuries and circumstances above them. And so I, I think it's a lot to ask for Altshuler to make the big splash at the NHL level long term. He's only 21, as you suggested. So I think really that what they'd like to see is give the kid a bit of an ex- exposure and see what they have there at the NHL level. But really, their eggs are in the Adelac basket there in Carolina, I do believe. That's a dangerous basket. A dangerous, <laughs> dangerous basket. <laughs> Well, there's not too many alternatives out there, as as I implied with my earlier comments. So uh, unless they draft somebody going forward, I think they're looking for a better prospect than, than Altshuler, given the fact that he was toiling in the ACHL, as you mentioned. Yeah, he, he was at least a, a you know a third-round pick in, in 2012. He is still only 21 years old, so very young. 
Uh, you don't usually see goalies break into the league full-time at that age. Uh, it's a, uh, the rare exception that manages to do that. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I'll be interested to see when, when Altshuler draws his first start. Uh, that'll be a game that uh, Pooley should be definitely looking into as a place to uh, get some sneaky value. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. What else do you want to talk about? <laughs> well, we generally hit on the most added and most dropped, so why don't we take a shot at some of those names? I mean, we did talk off the top about some teams that are struggling with the offense. I don't think you can put Tampa in that in that vein anymore because they've got 24 goals in their last six games. Uh, and uh, so that's about that's averaging four a game if I do the quick math. And some of the guys that you expect to score are doing that. Uh, maybe they weren't doing it earlier in the year. But Vladislav Nemesnikov leaps off the page to me as a guy who was underperformed for much of the, the past year, but he's hitting on almost a point per game pace in the last ten games. And and so the that might defer the Lightning from making too many moves at the trade deadline because they might be in a situation where they say, you know what, a lot of these guys are coming up to to contract renegotiations, and then we've talked to death about Steven Stamkos and some of the con- contracts that they have to sign. Maybe it'd be best for Stevie Y to just stand pat and watch how far they can go this year and worry about the uh, tr- contracts at the end of the season. I think you're right. And, uh, yeah, you certainly see Vladislav Nemestikov, uh, one of the most added players of the week. No surprise after uh, the sort of offense that he's been putting up lately. Uh, you know, it's just... Sometimes it just seems like one guy after another with these lightning there they they have no end of of these guys that they can bring up and they you know they let them toil on the depth lines and then they slowly work their way up and then all of a sudden they're just blowing up uh Nemesnikov, ten points and a plus ten rating and and uh, and he's you know now looking at first line ice time uh you know playing with your uh, your boy Stamkos uh, over there on the right <laughs> soon wing soon to be soon to be. Yeah, uh, it always I, it always uh, strikes me as weird when I whenever I look down the Tampa Bay depth chart and I look at the centers and I don't see Stamkos there because I still I think of him as a center. I I can never think of him as a right wing, uh, which is where he's been playing uh, lately. And I don't know if that's uh, sort of uh, indicative of uh, something of the decline that he's gone through, uh, being not quite as elite as he once was. Although he uh, Nemestikov has been rather hot lately, nine points yep. in the last eight. No question. And the second line seems to be coming together a little bit too. Nikita Kucherov similarly uh, warming up. Uh, the guy that they need to get some more out of is Tyler Johnson to hold woof, down woof. The, that second unit. And uh, and uh, he he was the darling of the fantasy uh, poolies last year, but he's fallen way out, well off that. But there's ample time for him to fix the, that up with a, with a good second half. And like you say... We, we've seen them start to pick up the offense, and, and it, I think it's a matter of time before Tyler Johnson hits his stride in that regard, too. Surely. And, uh, and we, as we look down further at the most added players, we see one Carl Hagelin. We all know why he's here, because he's been moved over to Pittsburgh, where he's now Evgeny Malkin's left wing. Yeah, and you have to like that pairing. These guys both operate at high speed, and... And with Pittsburgh, there's been such a concern about the fit between uh, their elite centers and a variety of wingers. It seems like they've settled on combinations that have some familiarity now for me uh, on the top line. And that's with Sidney Crosby. Chris Kunitz has been off the line, on the line, off the line. He's back on it again. And Patrick Hornquist has been off and on and off and on again as well. Now that unit has been reunited. 
I think we're going to see the Penguins go on a bit of a run because I like the fits that they have on the top two lines. Of course, Kessel and Malkin have been okay. Kessel's been okay. We expected more from him, but Malkin's certainly been carrying this team for long stretches, and I think that we're going to see a great partnership between him and Haglund going forward. Yeah, if there's one thing that that looks weird as you look down the standings, besides Anaheim uh, lingering low in the standings, a team that we've covered extensively uh, these last few months, uh, it's Pittsburgh also sitting currently outside of the playoff picture, uh, doing even worse than Montreal, which is not saying uh, too much for the, for Sydney and the boys. But I do think that the Penguins are another team uh, like those Calgary Flames that has a big run in them. You know, they still have all the pieces in place that they've had pretty much. Uh, I, I do think that Hagelin is a nice addition for them. Again, we see that he's not seeing any time on the power play. Uh, even a pretty solid minutes, uh, skated 18:30 uh, the other day against the Blues, but zero, stone cold zero on the power play, and uh, a, a trend throughout his career as he was never able to get much time with the man advantage in New York, uh, almost zero in Anaheim, and now uh, none so far in Pittsburgh. You know, Haglund's got to find a way into into that power play ice time before he really has a whole ton of fantasy value, I think. I agree with you, but looking at the guy, as a, I view him as a skilled player, and, and I think he's landed in a place where there are a lot of other skilled players, and that's the only thing that I think stands in his way of getting that regular time because the other five guys on the on the top six are, are guys that have a pro, higher profile than him offensively, and you can't leave a guy like Chris Letang off that unit and maybe even an Ole Mattis. So he's going to find it tough to get uh, certainly first-line minutes. Maybe he can find his way into a second power play unit there the, uh, occasionally, and, and it'll depend on the marriage that he forges with uh, Malkin and Kessel. Certainly, uh, I li- I'd like my chances if I got to play with those two guys on a regular basis. So uh, I, I think he's a guy that I'll keep my eye on, maybe pick him up if, uh, if he does catch any kind of fire. Yeah, you know, he's got he's got speed and grit, and, and he plays terrific defense. Uh, it's just a very solid all-around player, but the, the offensive skills, I think, are really uh, short of what I had hoped that they would be when, when Hagelin came to the Rangers uh, out of college. Uh, I thought that he was going to be a little bit more of an offensive player than he has been, and it's been sort of a, a steady downward trend for him since uh, his promising rookie season. Well, Andrew, and one of the guys who, who we've seen the ups and downs with is also on this list. Thomas Hurdle is the guy in San Jose who had a torrid stretch when he first came on the scene. Then he went all quiet all of a sudden. And this year he's been hot and cold, and, and the Sharks uh, have been the same way. But most recently he's been on fire, and, and that's why he's near the top of this list. And I think he's full value for it, and also in a nice situation. as a guy who we should expect to see getting top six minutes and, and a look on the power play as well because he's, he's shown too much uh, skill uh, most recently uh, and really burning up uh, the scoring stats. Yeah, Hurdle's one of those guys you could really see blow up in the second half of this season. As you say, red hot right now, seven points and a plus eight rating in the last six games. Seeing a lot more ice time as the top line uh, left wing there in San Jose. Uh, That's a great situation to be in, and he is... I mean, there's a, a legitimate argument to be made that on a team that has Joe Thornton and Brent Burns and Joe Pavelski and Logan Couture... Tomas Hurdle might be the most purely physically talented player on this entire team. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right on. And uh, they haven't got much out of Logan Couture though, so far this year, I don't think, as much as they wanted. So there's another guy. That That's they a, yeah, a big struggle for them, for Couture, uh, yeah. having missed a lot of time to injury. And uh, not quite back on track yet since uh, returning from his latest stretch on IR. Although he hasn't been bad, uh, six points in nine games. Could be worse. No, and they, so that tells me that there's some upward mobility here in San Jose. And, of course, I, I really tout uh, Burns on defense. Uh, he's been a revelation to some people in fantasy, but I've been touting this guy for a long time. One of those versatile guys that can play forward, too. And uh, if you have the ability to put him at forward or defense, that's really a wild card in, in fantasy in some leagues. But uh, I like this team because of those three players primarily. And, and certainly I would like to see Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe have one more kick at the cat with an extended playoff run. Those guys <laughs> seem to really be uh, all, all about the regular season. And in the playoffs, they, they are, have left their fans wanting. But maybe they got one more kick in the can. This might, this might well be it this year. Yeah, and I've been a little bit disappointed with Martin Jones. I was hoping for a little bit more than what we've seen from him so far. Uh, not that he's been bad. He's been he's been fine, but not great. And I thought that we were going to see something a little bit closer to great from Martin Jones, uh, you know, finally in, in a, a really advantageous situation, that he's the, the unchallenged starter there. Has been better lately. 932 save percentage in the last five games. Stopped stop 138 of 148, and that's been pretty sharp. Uh, on his way to four wins and just uh, one loss. Uh, but but a little too much inconsistency still from Martin Jones, and I, I expect a little bit more defensive commitment from a Pete DeBoer-led team than we've seen so far. Absolutely, and uh, uh, one other guy that I think bears a mention in Vancouver is Bo Horvat. We, n- we now have a situation that uh, Hendrick Sedin's out of the lineup with an upper body injury. Not sure how long he's going to be out, but Horvath's a guy that they, they used the first-round pick to draft this kid, and he's finally starting to show some offensive upside, and I think he's going to get a long look as a top-six guy going forward. So that's a guy that is getting a bit of a uh, bump in, uh, in fantasy circles these days, too. Yeah, certainly. With, with Henrik Sedin out, the Canucks are looking for answers, and, uh, and they've been getting them from Horvath lately. Ten points in the last eight games. Uh, Jared McCann now centering the first line uh, there, also uh, an interesting fantasy pickup if you're looking to speculate on uh, on some increased ice time and opportunities alongside Daniel Sedin, at least. Uh, you know, one out of two uh, ain't bad. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. So uh, there's a few names that we've knocked around, Andrew. I think we've reached the point now where we can talk about the favorite part of the show that I like. But before that, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find out more about the fantasy scene from Rotowire. Absolutely. As you well know, if you've listened to our podcast before, you can head on down to rotowire.com slash pod, get a free 10-day subscription to Rotowire, check out our player notes, check out our other podcasts. We've got a brand new esports department. Uh, I don't understand it, but apparently people love it. Uh, everyone's uh, video gamers are now athletes, uh, if, if you didn't know. Uh, ESPN has launched their esports coverage. We have launched ours, and uh, it's blowing up. Uh, that's just one thing that you can find on rotowire.com, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, hockey, golf, soccer, college sports, MMA, NASCAR. We have got it all. And uh, we've also got that auto-playing video that every time <laughs> I, I go to the Rotowire website during the pod, uh, there it is. And, and uh, we know it works. 
get a just a little touch of um, I don't know, whoever's voice that was. <laughs> just okay, well let's let's, but let's, uh, let's get into the uh, the stud of the week. And the stud of the week is a guy who's taken me back to the 1980s. We haven't seen a performance like this statistically from anybody since the likes of Wayne Gretzky. Andrew, I'm talking about Patrick Kane. I got to see this guy live when the Hawks came to town to play the Leafs, and he put on quite a show, registering, if you can believe it, his first regular season hat trick of his career. I was shocked when I when I realized that at the end of the game, and, and the post-game reports called it. In fact, that was correct. He has a couple of other hat-tricks, but they were achieved with a goal in overtime uh, in prior opportunities. But this year, he's leading the league in goals, assists, and obviously points as well. And I guess we haven't seen that since the days of Wayne Gretzky, who did that in the mid-'80s. So he's got a fifth, and he's got a 15-point lead over his nearest competition, Jamie Benn, who's the defending scoring champ, as you know. Uh, we have talked about Kane and his line mate, Jonathan Taves, who have resumes that would qualify for the Hall of Fame already, in my estimation. It would be easy for Kane to be satisfied, but he isn't. That's great news for the Hawks and their fans, I think. And this desire to win is a great example for the next wave of NHL stars, including one, uh, Artemi Perret. Panarin, who plays with Patrick Kane. So I think it's great news for the Hawks, but it's even greater news for the league when you find these players who've achieved so much are still motivated. Yeah, and it's crazy to see with Kane that he already has more points this year than he put up in any of the last four seasons. And soon that it's going to be five because he's going to clear the 73 that he put up in 73 games in 2010-11 uh, in no time, maybe, maybe in the next game, you know? Uh, the way that's that he's crazy. been going, uh, he's uh, that'll be his 50th game of the year, and he'll be already sitting uh, right around, uh, you know, the, his second best points mark of what's already been a rather illustrious career. He's gonna. I mean, the the question isn't if he cracks 100; it's when. Uh, how soon can he do it? That's true, and you know what? When I do the stud and the rant of the week, when I give it some thought, I try to pair the, them up. Because I want to, I want to show the flip side of that, and the elephant of the room in the room is Jonathan Drouin in that situation. It's just talk about things blowing up. This is going to blow up in his face. What he did last night uh, was not show up for an AHL game in Toronto of all places, where there were a myriad of scouts waiting for him to play. Not only does he no show, but he gives it a, a very last-minute announcement through his agent that he wasn't going to play. And so they've done, uh, the agent has done a disservice to this kid in my estimation. We have a 21-year-old guy, formerly a very high draft pick, and now he's, all, he's got the label of a troublemaker attached to him and a high-maintenance player situation where Andrew, no matter where, what dressing room he winds up going to, I'm sure there's going to be some veterans in there that look at this guy saying, who the hell does this kid think he is? He has accomplished zero in the NHL, and yet he's treating himself, uh, making himself out to be something of a, a prima donna. I know some teams are out there and they're going to pursue him aggressively because he sure looks like he he, he won't be able to turn back into the, the Tampa situation and go into that dressing room again. And he's got too much skill to be wasting on the sidelines. So the, the gun has kind of been put to Stevie Wise's head, and, and I wonder how that's going to play out. But this kid is not do, doing himself any favors with these bad decisions, and that's why he merits the rant of the week this week. Yeah, and, and more to the point, his, his agent really isn't doing himself any favor as a Who's going to sign with this guy after this disaster that he's concocted here? Not only uh, does he, I mean, sure, we're playing a game of uh, he said, he said, but <laughs> Steve Eiserman says that he never told Jonathan Duran or his agent, Alan Walsh, that they were close to trading him, and yet that's the, you know, the ostensible reason that Duran didn't show up for the last game, that last AHL game. 
that you know they were preserving him in case of a trade. But if there's no trade pending, and Iserman seems to me like a guy who's not, you know, a guy who's a straight shooter, I think, and not, not a guy who's uh, going to go out there and lie about it. I uh, agree with you. And he came out right away and said uh, this morning, he, uh, he was quoted as saying there was no trade on the table. And, and even another GM that I know was quoted as saying there's no way that a GM will come out and say, well, we told the kid that a trade was imminent and that he should be sitting out. They won't make that kind of information public. They may do that behind behind the scenes, but they certainly do that didn't do that in this case. So, if if there's one person that's lying, I think it's the player agent, and and uh, Jonathan Drouin might be best served by finding another guy to represent him yeah. before this thing really gets nutty. That's a bad look when you lie, when you lie not only that publicly, but also in in such a a way that's so easy to refute. Uh, it's it's just a, a really bad look for for Drouin. And then on top of that, he hasn't qualified. For, to, to burn a year off his entry-level contract yet. Now he's stuck in the AHL. He's suspended indefinitely. They don't have to trade him. They could just leave him there in limbo, and he can't do anything about it. He's still going to have two years of his three-year entry-level contract left with Tampa. Uh, it's just a, a really, really messy situation for Duran, a guy who I absolutely loved coming out of juniors, a guy who I think uh, a lot of people had ticketed for near-instant style, Really hasn't worked out like that. Uh, he's largely been confined to depth line roles when he gets a chance. Uh, the goal scoring hasn't been there. Uh, the shot hasn't been there that we saw from him uh, in juniors. And I mean, he hasn't even done well in the AHL. It's not like he was killing it in the AHL and he was like, all right, uh, I think I made my point. I'm going to pack it in. It's three points in seven games and a minus one rating. Like, get out of here with the, yeah. with the prima donna nonsense. Needs to read how to win friends and influence people, I think. It seems like it. <laughs> but that is a wrap for another episode of The Great Ones, Rotowire's Fantasy Hockey Podcast. For Paul Bruno, I'm Andrew Fiorentino, thanking you for giving us a listen and inviting you to come back to catch the next episode of our show next Thursday. So long, everybody. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.